Hi, this is Andrew, and this is Keynote, the daily now.tv chat show with some of the world's leading thinkers and writers. Hello, everybody. It's November the 23rd, a Tuesday, 2021. We're a couple of days from Thanksgiving. I'm talking to you from San Francisco. Many of us have much thanks to give in San Francisco, of course, is the heart of big tech, uh, which is in the business now, particularly of Facebook, of reinventing reality, of turning it into virtual reality. San Francisco is also on the front lines of, of, uh, of homelessness, of drug addiction, and seems to be in some ways a, a stage, um, a, a, a warning about the future. Uh, especially when it comes to drug addiction and homelessness. Certainly the headlines this morning are deeply depressing. Uh, New York Times is running a piece on fentanyl. Uh, it's mounting death toll. Uh, this is a poison, they say. Uh, I'm quoting uh, dark heroin uh, uh, cut with so much white powdered fentanyl that it's known on the streets as gray. Uh, this um, in, in the year ending in April, more than 100,000 Americans have died. Uh, it certainly hasn't got the attention of COVID, even though in some ways it rivals COVID as an epidemic, as a pandemic. Um, the Guardian today also reports uh, the devastating nature of, of the fentanyl uh, epidemic. It, uh, according to their headline, it's, it's unfolding as one of America's greatest tragedies, and God knows America has many tragedies. So, to be its greatest charity, uh, greatest charity is quite an uh, not charity tragedy is quite an achievement. Lots of press about how this fentanyl is getting over the border. Lots of headlines about Mexican cartels, those evil Mexican cartels that are to blame for all the problems in America. Uh, headline this morning in The Guardian about both meth and fentanyl, record-breaking amounts being seized in San Diego, of course, on the border. Lots of pieces about Joe Biden and his failure to deal with this new epidemic. And Biden seems to be failing on every front. Uh, the human stories are particularly uh, troubling. A, a one-year-old overdoses on uh, on, on fentanyl. Here we even have an image for people watching of a five-year-old um, um, who died of violence and fentanyl uh, intoxication. So serious, serious problem. And I'm, I'm thrilled. Uh, I don't know if that's the right word. I'm very happy that one of America's leading chroniclers of the opioid addiction, of its toll on America, is on the show. He has a new book out. It's called The Least of Us, True Tales of America and Hope in the Time of Fentanyl and Meth. His name is uh, Sam uh, Quinones. He's talking to me from his garage in his home in uh, Los Angeles. He's temporarily homeless, but um, for the moment at least, certainly for the next 25 years, uh, not 25 years, 25, uh, 24 hours. Sam, yes. in all seriousness, I'm thrilled you're on the show. I read your your, your first book and, and you... Uh, with with Keith, are the major chron chronicler of, of 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 these drug tragedies of the epidemic. We always hear headlines, read headlines about the seriousness of it. Place it historically. What's going on now with fentanyl? What do you write about in this new book, uh, The Least of Us? 
Well, I mean, I think it, those headlines are all correct. That's the problem. The you know, for years we have been, um, I would say, sensationalizing drugs in this country, and frequently people who were using drugs would kind of scoff at it because they kind of knew that the sensational alarmist uh, idea about these drugs was incorrect. The, I remember having this reaction when I was in high school, hearing some of this stuff. Uh, the problem is now that reality has become the myth has become reality. The stuff that that is out there on the street is as deadlier, cheaper, more prevalent, just uh, all the way around an absolute uh, catastrophe, um, uh, worse than anything we've ever seen on our streets. And I would say a lot of this has to do with the fact that the supply of it is just so uh, relentless. And, you know, in, with the, the, the methamphetamine, the Mexican trafficking world has been able now, able now to cover the entire United States. There's virtually no place in America where there's not some sustained quantities of methamphetamine, uh, which is a remarkable. This is the first time that's ever, ever happened uh, with both fentanyl and meth, but certainly just talking about fentanyl and meth right now. And what they've also been able to do is drop the price by 80 percent. So it's it's a it's an amazing thing that this and this is the the, the most mind mangling um, uh, drug we've literally ever ever known on our streets and so um, at the risk of sounding like my predecessors on some of this stuff I would say that the, the evidence is now overwhelming that this that this is a, a true catastrophe um, I've used the term uh, kind of a, a poisoning I think that's that's pretty much what's going on here. It's as much a poisoning as it is a drug addiction uh, problem, seems to me. But it is real. The data is clear. The evidence, the bodies are are there to prove it. Um, the homeless encampments and tent encampments and all that are, are part of this mix as well. So I don't think that there's any um, risk really of over-sensationalizing, over being over-alarmist. It's, it's, it sells itself almost. The data does. I read your first book. Um, sat, well, it's not your first book. Your first book on the opioid or opiate epidemic dreamlands, a marvelous, marvelous read, even came out as a, a young reader edition, a, a young author edition. I'm not sure whether what young people are supposed to learn from this. Um, what's changed? You, Dreamland came out in 2015. So try to be a bit specific about what has happened over the last six years, because in Dreamland, okay was also a wake-up call. When I read it, I was horrified, just as, uh, you know, when I read uh, Empire of Pain, The Secret History of the, the Sackler Dynasty by Patrick Radden Keefe. But things seem to be getting worse and worse. What has happened over the last six years? Is it is it a chemical thing? Or is it simply, uh, you know, I went to your, your website, is it simply Mexican gangs coming into America? You have this image of Mexico on your front page of your website. Um, I would say there's a lot of all of that, honestly. <laughs> I mean, there's uh, what's what happened in the last six years is what uh, uh, what was kind of about to happen just when Dreamland came out. And that is that first of all, we had created this enormous population of uh, opioid addicted consumers all across the country due to the vast promotion, uh, of opioid painkillers by right. by the Sacklers uh, and others, right? By and 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 the Purdue and Purdue Pharma, the company they own, and and other companies involved in all that. These that were is, sorry, um, Sam, to jump in here. 
those were mostly legal, right? Uh, is, no, they were is, all is legal. The current... They were all legal. These are legal prescription painkillers that people were, were prescri- the doctors were prescribing. The, the but then prescribing... they were redistributed illegally through yeah, but but not always. No, certainly a lot of this was was due to the prescription coming. Um, uh, doctors would prescribe and then re up with refills and refills, and pretty soon people were getting uh, all they needed just w- from a doctor's prescription. And then, of course, a lot of that supply um, uh, leaked out into the black market. There, there's no doubt. That's absolutely what happened. Every region had its own pill prescription pill. Uh, black black market. What ended up happening is the enormous amount of supply that was unleashed on this country beginning in about 1996 and for the next 15 years or so um, was really uh, profoundly changed the country and got and and created these these enormous new populations of people. Meanwhile, what begins to happen is the trafficking world, particularly down in Mexico, that's our drug trafficking source, our drug source for illegal drugs down in Mexico for most of them anyway. Uh, begins to realize this, begins to supply uh, heroin, which is, a, of course, a chemical cousin to a lot of these pills. And um, eventually they stumble on, and this is what I write about in my next book, in The Least of Us, they stumble on fentanyl. And that's the, I tell the story of how they, the Sinaloa cartel discovers fentanyl in the early on. Right. In the so so, so uh, I, for people watching, here we have the wiki page for fentanyl. What exactly is fentanyl and why is it so particularly dangerous? Well, it's actually a fantastic drug. I mean, it's a magnificent drug when used medically. There's no doubt about it. It revolutionized surgery. I've had fentanyl when I was had a heart attack. Many people, people out there watching now have had fentanyl. When it's used medically in a, in a, in a surgical situation, what have you, it's fantastic. There's no doubt about it. It was a synthetic opioid that was invented in 1960 by Paul Janssen of Janssen Pharmaceutica, one of the great scientific minds really of the uh, 20, 20th century. And he developed a, a drug that did what morphine does, except for much more quickly, enters the brain, hits the pain receptors, the opioid receptors, reducing reducing the amount of pain. And so when you can do that, it, they, he realized this could, could uh, have uh, revolutionary effects. And that's exactly what fentanyl did. The thing is, what makes it so potent is how quickly it hits the brain. That's basically the definition of it, much more quickly with much more force than morphine. And so if you're going to misuse it, it also has a very, very negative effect. It very, very quickly shuts down the brain. People stop breathing very quickly, go into a coma, you know, go comatose, start overdosing. But it's it in its it, its original its original conception was ma- magnificent. In the hands of the underworld, which is now where we find fentanyl largely, it is, um, a, of course, a catastrophe because they don't care, don't know, don't don't want to know um, how to use it properly. You know, it's just a lottery ticket. Fentanyl is the new lottery ticket for all kinds of folks, not just the 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 drug, the cr- classic drug trafficking world out of, out, of, out of Mexico. So it's a synthetic, but it's used, it's made without without any plant involved. Unlike heroin or morphine made from the poppy, this is this comes entirely from amalgamations of of, um, of chemicals. And how is it distributed plant. in the United States? Uh, it's sent up from illegally, if you, you mean illegally, and it's sent up from oh, illegally and illegally. Well, it's 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 prescribed in the United States. It's given to anesthesi- anesthesiologists in surgery. That that's mainly um, who's used uh, fentanyl for since the '60s. 
really. I mean, they, they use it and, and it's a, it's much better anesthesia than anything we had at the time. And so, as I say, it revolutionized anesthesia, mm. made some surgery very possible that was not possible uh, before took a lot of the danger out of, out of it. Um, we used to have to anesthetize people almost to death to get them to not feel pain. And, and sometimes they did die. And fentanyl gets rid of all that that risk. And um, when it comes to illegally, it's it's smuggled up in the same way that all the drugs are coming from Mexico are smuggled up on trucks through border crossings. Basically, that's it. And it's sold, obviously, illegally uh, underground. How is it distributed? Is it by gangs in the United States? It's well, well, I think what's happened with fentanyl and also with methamphetamine is that the trafficking world has begun to use all the distribution channels. So if you once were selling marijuana, likely that you're now going to be selling, uh, fentanyl. Uh, if you're selling Mexican marijuana, it was likely you can now be selling, selling fentanyl. Certainly I have, I, I, I I know uh, of situations where people who were once selling cocaine, are now are now selling fentanyl and selling meth as well uh, uh, frequently. So you have all these distribution channels. Yes, gangs, um, local dealers who have a connection with this person and that person, and it's all that's the way the underworld operates. It's one person connecting with another. What they have done, what fentanyl has done, and what also methamphetamine has done, has been because of the stunning supply. Remember, there's a supply story here. Because of the stunning supplies, you you get rid of the dealer's main worry, which historically has always been, where's my dope coming from? Where Where's the stuff that I'm going to sell? Where does that come from? And so now you don't need to worry about that. You do not need to worry about that. That stuff is coming across in such volume that, the, you know, I talked to one guy. He said he was referring to methamphetamine, but fentanyl is the same way. Um, I know within 10 miles of my house, I know four people who can sell me 20 pounds of meth any day, any day of the week. That used to never be the case. Well, the same is true of fentanyl. So there's so much of it that now anybody can sell it. The biggest question now is where do you sell it? Where do I get rid of all this stuff? And, and that is, that is the big, um, uh, 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 new issue. And so that's why you're seeing, uh, fentanyl lace counterfeit pills being sold uh, on Snapchat and Instagram by anonymous dealers and the delivery to your house. They Which deliver is, to your house now. Uh, I showed the headline earlier, Sam, about the, from the Guardian, record-breaking amounts of meth and fentanyl seized in San Diego. Is it mostly coming over the, the Mexican border? I think it, with some exception of it coming through the mail, used to come, a lot of fentanyl used to come through the mail from China. But see, China doesn't make it anymore, nor could you ever achieve the supplies that we have now coming into this country of fentanyl through the mail. It's just not an efficient way of bringing dope into the country. So all of that production has shifted to Mexico. China is now, it's, their, their chemical companies are providing precursor chemicals and the, which the Mexicans now make into fentanyl. The only way you get to the point where we have this kind of supply is when Mexicans make it and they put it in very ingeniously in trucks that then bring it across the border. So it's coming through border crossings. It's coming through uh, Tijuana, San Diego, uh, Juarez, El Paso, Matamoros, Brownsville, various, various uh, places like that, because that's where we have free trade with Mexico. And that means millions and millions of crossings of cars and trucks uh uh, uh every, you know every year 
and and we just don't have the manpower, nor is it really in our interest, um, uh, economic interest, to to slow all that down um, by by inspecting every every vehicle that comes across. And and the traffickers know this, and they have mastered that trade. I want to talk in in the second part of the show about um, how to how to confront this crisis. But before we do that, the the, the subtitle of the the, the book, um, the least of us, is "True Tales of America and Hope in the Time of Fentanyl and Meth." Meth, then, oh, uh, uh, meth and fentanyl are different. Um, perhaps yeah. you might explain how and why. And they're well, both uh, opioids. Is that right? No, no. Fentanyl is an opioid, which means it hits the opioid receptors in our brains and controls pain and our bowels and a variety of things like that. Methamphetamine is a is a stimulant, as activating the brain. It's a, it's an upper, like cocaine, uh, others like that. And um, they they share one commonality, and that is they are both made from chemicals only. No plant involved. Not like cocaine's made from the coca leaf, heroin's made from the poppy. With fentanyl and meth, they're made only from combinations of chemicals within labs. So meth speeds you up, keeps you up at night, et cetera, et cetera. And, and methamphetamine is also the same thing that's happening with fent fentanyl is now happening with has been happening with methamphetamine in fact actually for a little bit longer and that is a reliance on 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 chemicals that they can now get from ports that they control the traffickers control down in mexico and and production therefore of just i mean staggering staggering quantities of this drug so much so as i say they cover the entire united states and drop the price by 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 80 percent that's really what the price drop has been over the last several years, all across all across this country. Um, this is that the good for the dealers, by the way. The cutting of price, do their margins get shrunk, or they still make significant? No, they they, they, they they and they have to compete. So now, for example, I would say one thing at, at one place I'm aware of in Louisville, uh, the the dealers now um, will deliver to your house. They will sell to you in a syringe that's already loaded with liquid methamphetamine, so you could just shoot up right after you buy it. There's all these ways, you know, they uh, folks have developed of 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 competing, and yeah, the price is very low, and it's very and it's and it's um and, and it's it's uh, you know nation nationwide. It's in areas like New England, we never had any meth ever, and now they've got now they definitely now they've definitely got it. And of course it. Uh, part of the book, I think, that really breaks the story on this is that, that um, in the least of us, is that is that this methamphetamine now is accompanied by, let's use that term, is accompanied by um, uh, very severe symptoms of uh, uh, mental illness, primarily schizophrenia, primarily paranoia and hallucinations. Uh, there's other symptoms as well, but those are like the, the main ones very quickly leading to then uh, homelessness, uh, a kind of a mental illness, instability and, and inability to, to run one's life. And very quickly, um, 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 this combination of mental illness and homelessness, you know, is kind of what is what has accompanied the, the meth coming out of Mexico since the last in the last eight years as it as it's march you follow the the march of this meth um all across starts in 2013-14 in la in 16-17 in the midwest by 2018-19 particularly it's up into it's up into new england it's a massive achievement dubious infamous 
achievement, but nevertheless an achievement of a trafficking source that has been able to cover the entire United States with, with one drug. Never happened, hasn't happened by in the underworld. It did happen, again, with, with the pain pills and the, and the doctors prescribing. They did the same thing. They achieved the same thing. And, and now we're seeing this on the part of the, the Mexican trafficking world, the same achievement. Sam, I want to use the second half of the show to talk about how we're supposed to respond to this. Uh, but let's take a, a brief break. We're talking with Sam Quinones, the author of Least of Us, um, True Tales of America and Hope in the Time of Fentanyl and Meth, a very dark book and in some ways depressing, in some ways perhaps less depressing. We'll talk about both uh, after the break. We'll be back in a second. Hi, everyone. Andrew here again. I'm not sure if you're listening or watching or even reading about this Keenon show. I certainly hope you're enjoying it, but I wanted to remind you that there are many different ways you can use to enjoy my Keenon show. The first, of course, is by, in a very traditional way, subscribing to the audio-only podcast. You can do this um, using Apple or Spotify or CastBox, or many of the other traditional uh, podcast distribution platforms. We're on all of them. And if you want to access uh, all the podcasts together, you can go to my LitHub page um, in their podcast section, which is dedicated to all the interviews. Uh, if you're into watching this, as opposed to simply listening, um, if you follow me on Twitter at AJ Keen, you can watch these shows live uh, and you can do the same um, if we're connected uh, on LinkedIn. I'm not on Facebook. I'm not a great fan of Facebook, but LitHub is. And on their LitHub live page, you can watch these shows live as well. Um, in terms of uh, recorded videos, uh, not live. You can see all the shows on the LitHub YouTube page. So whatever your preference, whatever your taste, whether it's video or audio or text, there's no excuse for not watching or listening to my show. Now back to Keynote. We're talking with Sam Quinones, the author of Least of Us, about the fentanyl meth crisis uh, epidemic in the United States. Um, Sam, uh, back in 2017, you wrote a, an op-ed in The Times suggesting that addicts need help. Um, jails could have been the answer. You write in the book about innovative ways that jails and, and the public authorities are dealing with this crisis what are we supposed to do? I mean, it's all, you know, we, we know we, we got to stop the drugs coming across the border. That's given, but that's going to be very hard. Well, I think that's that could be very hard if we approach it the same way we always have with Mexico, which is a kind of a 10, you know, a erratic kind of scattered approach. I do think that that this is now calling on on a much more, uh, a much deeper, much more sustained uh, uh, relationship with that country, both both countries are being mangled by this stuff, and uh, we are our guns that are that are bought here and then smuggled south ensure the impunity that those traffickers enjoy, in which they can make these quantities of dope. So it's so, 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 Sam. Um, 
we, of course, on the coasts, and I'm sure in Los Angeles and San Francisco, New York, no one ever has anything good to say about Donald Trump. But was he right? I mean, it's suggesting from your book that, that the drug gangs that he warned us about, these aren't fantasies of, of, of right-wing um, extremists, that they're actually real. Was Trump better on this crisis than Biden? Not on the drug crisis, no. No, no. Um, I, you know, this developed through the Trump years. I mean, we got the, we're in now in 2021, but this has been developing very, very clearly since 2017. Um, I thought that, that he paid far too much attention to the immigration issue and not nearly enough attention to this drug crisis. And he, of course, famously, infamously, I would say, um, we had in our custody a, a clearly corrupt uh, uh, Mexican general, Cienfuegos, who was working, protecting uh, cartels, cleared evidence of that, that that was going on. And he sent him back to Mexico at the urging of the Mexican government. So I, I would say that, the, the but I, th I think we're getting away from the, the idea here, though. And the, the, the idea is not to point fingers anymore. The idea is to say we need a sustained inst uh, 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 institutional kind of collaboration, understanding of that we both come together on. Uh, neither country, each country has viewed the problem as a, uh, as a national problem and the na nation to blame is the other guy. And, and, and to me, we need, we need folks so that, so that imagine this. Imagine if you ask every congressman in, in our Congress, what are the six states uh, that border border Mexico? Uh, I'm, I'm the border of the United States, Mexican states that border Mexico. I would hope that that would be uh, common knowledge to all congressmen. But the thing is, Mexico is not just a foreign country. It's very distant in many ways in the minds of many Americans. The problem is it's not distant anymore. It's around the corner from every single person watching this show right now. It's, it, affects, it affects every buddy in many many ways and this drug one drug issue is is a is a is is a, is a major part of that Huge so part i, of I want to come back to, to to fix this but you've written a couple of books on mexico uh, true tales yeah. from another mexico and antonio's gun and delfino's dream these were the books before um you wrote dreamland how, how is your work received in mexico are people treating you as anti-mexican for suggesting that this terrible no epidemic. no 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 look look every mexican alive lives with this they have to deal with this stuff every single day we have the luxury of not if our if nobody in our family is a, is, a, is affected by this then um then we can have the luxury of not knowing about it not knowing anything not even know you know where's sinaloa on a map 95% of Americans couldn't pick Sinaloa on a map anywhere. Yet it's one of the most important states of any country in the world. And it affects so much of if you're in rural America, if you're in Chicago or L.A. or San Antonio, doesn't matter. You are affected by the state of Sinaloa. Where is it? Find it on a map. And most Americans can't do that. Mexicans don't have that luxury. They live with this. This is the pestilence that has been been gnawing away at their country for for a long, long time. They need we need this collaborative, uh, sustained, 
approach so that people are back and forth constantly. Our, our bureaucrats are back and forth. Our elected officials are back and forth meeting with each other, developing a binational approach the same way that we developed a binational or trinational approach to free trade. We need something like that uh, with, with on, on this topic, but it requires uh, a kind of the kind of community collaboration that, that, all of this is going to require even at the local level in, in, the, in the United States. You write about that community collaboration uh, in the book. You write about communities like Portsmouth, Ohio, which I'd always associated as this kind of white working class town that was very vulnerable to the opioid addiction. But you also suggest in this new book that this is not just a, a white working class crisis. It, it, it's, it's multiracial. It's impacting all Blacks, browns, whites, every American. Is that fair? That's that's fair to say. I would say that, and the, the reason, again, is su supply. There is so much of this dope out there that it's now being mixed into every everything. So in the Black community, uh, drug users in the Black community really have long um, uh, uh, prized uh, cocaine. They, uh, they, that's been their drug of, of choice. Well, now co co cocaine's being cut with fentanyl. African-American dealers are realizing if I put fentanyl in my cocaine, it'll boost the power of that cocaine, which comes from Colombia, been cut a lot, it's been diluted. And so I put some fentanyl in there and it'll boost it up. But also they've come to understand that if I put fentanyl in my cocaine, pretty soon I'm going to get a fentanyl addict. And a cocaine user will buy my coke every few days. A fentanyl addict will buy my product every single day to keep that dope sickness away and that's a that's a well-known thing the problem is in the black community there's almost nobody in the black community who has any kind of tolerance to opioids because they simply were not involved in the opioid epidemic it was very very few folks and so they're given now fentanyl and that has is what has led to a rising number of African-American deaths due to opioid overdose. But really, if you look at the numbers, if you dig down into it, it's not folks who knew they were taking an opioid. It's folks who were taking, using cocaine. And within the cocaine comes comes fentanyl. Now, when I wrote about this, the, the first, the first African-American in the city of Akron, Ohio, Mikey Tanner, to, to die from uh, an opioid, a fentanyl overdose was really a long-term cocaine Attic had struggled with it, it, but he lasted. He was alive for 10 years on cocaine. He didn't last a month once fentanyl uh, enter, entered the drug stream in, in Akron, Ohio, which is one of the first cities that was affected by fentanyl. Sam, in The Least of Us, you write about initiatives to rethink jail for addicts yeah, and perhaps even important. dealers. You've got some stuff about initiatives in, in Kentucky. Where... Are there examples that can work? What are models that are viable to, to confront this epidemic? Okay, well, if you step, we need to step back a bit. We have ideas out there that I think are clearly obsolete in the face of this new reality of over of of over of um, of fentanyl and meth and the st supplies that they exist. One of them is decriminalizing drugs. Decriminalizing drugs were would have worked in another era. But the, our thinking remained the same. The drugs change. So now you leave people on the street. Don't arrest them. Don't take them off the street. That's a death sentence. Okay? That is a death sentence for people. You will die sooner than you will develop a readiness, a quote-unquote readiness to be to get treatment. That, is, that has been proven over and over and over. There needs to be a kind of a mandated treatment, arrest and then mandated treatment. It gets you off the street, get you away from this most deadly drug stream we've ever had, 
and then get you into, and that's where changing jail is extraordinarily important in my opinion. Um, our jail has always been this horrid place and it still is in many counties all across the country. It's a place where you sit, you vegetate, you, you're bored mostly, then there are predatory moments, you're, you're trying to become a better criminal. If you enter jail criminally minded, mentally ill or addicted, you are gonna get out of there worse. There are, however, lots of counties now in response to this, who have wisely seen jail as a major problem with, with, with all this, and they are changing jail. They are turning jail or parts of their jails into recovery pods, into places where people can get education, into people where, where, where they can work on their recovery, basically, where you volunteer to go into these pods, and then you, make, you wake up at eight, you're you're making your bed every day. You're there's accountability. You're taking classes in GED classes, criminal addicting, addictive thinking classes. There's 12 step groups. There's all this kind of stuff that actually makes jail some place that you actually can begin a positive to a positive road. It's not a panacea, but for so long jail has been this anchor around our necks as we try to figure out what to do about all manner of problems not just not just drug addiction and so i think i think they're figuring this out in the counties in states where they are have been longest dealing with this and that's ohio kentucky kentucky's a leader uh, really in all this because i believe one reason for that is that kentucky elects its jailers and therefore its jailers are more accountable and when you have a now in, in California, for example, where I'm from, you have a sheriff, he has a captain, the captain runs a jail. I think that needs to change. I think we need accountability for our jails because they are such a crucial. They can be a wonderful benefit. They, they're proven to be a wonderful benefit in some of these counties and a place where you can take people. You arrest them for small stuff, really just want to get them off the street. You get them detoxed for a while. They begin thinking clearly. You get them into treatment. That way, instead of using it as a as a way to get people into prison, which we don't want to do. So to me, it feels like these these states that have been doing this longest are the places where you, you need to look. And I would say Kentucky, uh, Ohio, there there's counties there that have been really working on on new ways of doing jail. And that's it's all a, a work in progress. It's all experimentation. But it's a it's at least a very, very healthy beginning to some new way of viewing jail. I hope you're right, Sam. We've had a number of shows recently about one kind of crisis in America or, or other. We had Keita Haynes yesterday on the show, African-American woman who went to jail, talking about the experience of jail and the ubiquity of jail in America, especially for African-Americans. I had the congressman from um, Arizona, Ruben Gallego, on the psychological impact of the war in Iraq and Afghanistan. We had Sandro Galea on the show, the head of the Boston Medical School, talking about how COVID and the COVID crisis is bound up in the crisis of inequality. How does the crisis you write about in The Least of Us, how does it fit in broadly to the, the dystopian element in American society? Is it one piece of it or, 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 is it, or are they the dots a, that join all these things? It's a symptom of of what we have created for ourselves over the, certainly the last, I would say, four decades, let's say. Um, and, and by that, I mean, we have understood as a species, going back millennia now, uh, eons, how um, that, that we have this enormous, enormously important 
part of our, our our evolution that is that has allowed us to survive and that is community it is a it is a way of coming together it's messy it can be uh, conflictive and, and all that it, it, absolutely but the but because we formed to group into groups uh, for self-protection and self-reliance and so on, we survived as a species. That is why we are here on this planet. And for the millions of years we've been evolving, we have always understood that, except in America in the last 40 years, right? In America in the last 40 years, we decided, well, you know, we can be on our own and, and oh, I don't like- so We can blame it all on Milton Friedman and Ronald Reagan. All, all of that, the idea that you can cut taxes and, and get away from, from uh, uh, supporting things that bring people together, you know, school programs or parks or what have you, all of that uh, that you can cut, that you can allow large banks to com consume commu community banks, community banks, small town banks were an enormous detonator of economic prosperity. They understood their communities. Now a lot of those banks are, are gone. You have all these forces that have served to isolate us, fragment us, leave us on our own. And for a lot of that, we were, uh, we abetted that we were like, we're accomplices in that. Yeah, yeah, that's a good idea. Yeah, it's better. It's better to live in a big house with four two parents and two kids that don't ever see each other in this massive house that's very hard to heat. Um, and then, then be in a small house right next to neighbors and all that stuff. So um, to me, the the this is you call this book a dark book and there there's certainly dark elements to it but my feeling is that this is actually an enormously hopeful moment it's an enormously hopeful book because what it's saying is that this epidemic that we are in the middle of is really calling on us to understand how we got here why we survived we survived through each other by relying on each other we survived by making sure that that we were you know we understanding that we're only as strong as the most vulnerable we're only as strong as the least of us and it and 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 we got away from that as a country again as you say we got away from from it by these kind of economic theories that view viewed as almost religiously preordained that this that you know the jobs will go somewhere else and, and the other the folks who were affected by it well they're on their own and you know this kind of our own beautiful American idea of self-reliance became a very toxic idea of isolation. And this problem we're dealing with right here, in my opinion, one is, is really rooted in that. And, and that's why I believe this is actually a very hopeful time because it's allowing us time to say, um, you know, this is, this is what we need to do. It's a path isn't that hard to determine. Jesus said it in the book of Matthew. He says, that what you do for the least of my brethren, you do for me. Jesus understood the power, the profound, deep power uh, of community because we have evolved to, to need, not just like, but need community. That's how we survived. And we just, and we have, we're living in a culture where for the last 40 years, I would say we have, for many, many, many reasons, don't really think that's all that important anymore. And this is showing us that it actually is. Sam, finally, I hope you're right, of course. And, and, and as you say, the book is in some ways optimistic, but it, it, for someone like myself, it does talk about a story that is, is horrifying. Um, sure does. At the beginning of the show that uh, I'm talking to you from San Francisco, of course, the big story in Silicon Valley is Facebook's transformation of itself into meta and the metaverse. 
and Mark Zuckerberg's embrace of virtual reality. Um, the great book, the great dystopia on virtual reality, of course, was Brave New World. If we don't get this right, how real is Brave New World, Sam? <laughs> that's a great, that's a really good question. You know, it was 1984 and Brave New World, and I would say for the 20th century, Brave New uh, uh, 1984 was the most prescient uh, or the most descriptive uh, accurately um, uh, because of the one-party states that that existed at that time and so on. But today, I would say absolutely, um, uh, uh, Brave New World is is the is the book. That, that describes where we can be headed. And again, this is all dependent on how well we understand uh, the importance of human connection and trying now very, very aggressively um, to, to, to maintain it, to create it, to foster it. Um, other, otherwise we end up, we end up all of us kind of narcotized in our own houses and on our own screens, which is close to becoming the truth, and and uh, you know, and and then the only connection we have to anybody else is when we're snarking at them on 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 Twitter, or 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 you know, e adopt easily adopting um, uh, opinions that we don't have to work hard to form because they come to us in the form of memes. You know, uh, to me, this is it gives it's what this 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 time this period this issue. Um, I hope the book is is giving us this idea that that we have this choice. You can, at your lo most local level, work towards solidifying community and connections with people around you. That's the main thing. Don't worry if you're not saving the world nobly and virtuously. You're doing your little thing. That is the thing. And through that come solutions that don't seem uh, apparent when you're, we're all isolated like this. Or we can continue to uh, you know, suck on the, 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 the tit of my, Mark Zuckerberg's latest wet dream and, and uh, you know, and uh, I that, my that is not there, an, but... edifying, uh, <laughs> an edifying idea, Sam. Yeah, uh, I'm interested that you you know the Brave New World was the most prescient book of the late 20th century. Um, Neil Postman, of course, argued that in Amusing Ourselves Today. Another another great book. Another, yeah, another great book. book. And your book, uh, all your work, uh, Sam, is enormously important. Your new book, mm -hmm. Least of Us. True Tales of America and Hope in the Time of Fentanyl and Meth is another great book. Congratulations on the book. You are in L.A. at the moment. I am. In addition to Brave New World and The Least of Us, what else should we be reading in these interesting <laughs> times, shall we say, as the Chinese? Um, the best novel I ever read, well, re have read in the last five years, Kasuo Ishiguro's um, Never Let Me Go, which is mm. its own dystopian thing that crept up on me. And by the time I finished reading that thing, I was like, oh, my God, that is that is simply profound. I don't want to give too much of a way because the, the power of the book lies in that development of, yeah. of the theme that he's working on. So I don't want to say much it's more. Great than book. That. And his new book, I don't know if you've seen it, his book on AI, uh, Clara and the Sun, is also astonishing. I have not read that. I've been too busy. But but I definitely want to. He, he came on my radar with that book, uh, Never Let Me Go, and, and uh, Let Me Let You Go. I can't remember now. And, um, yeah, well, I'm going to let you go now, Sam Quinones. You've been wonderful, as always. Your, uh, your new book, uh, The Least of Us, True Tales of America and Hope in the Time of Fentanyl and Meth, is just out. It's must-read for anyone who cares about the future of America. Sam, thanks so much. I'd love to have you back on the show because these are such important subjects. We've, we've really only barely scratched the surface. <laughs> so perhaps you can come back in the new year and talk more about 
what life is really like for many Americans today. Thank you I so would much, love Sam. Thank, love to do that, Andrew. Thanks very much for your interest in my work, and thanks for having me on your show. Thanks so much for watching this Keenon show. I hope you were inspired in some way. I hope you found it interesting. And if you want more of these kinds of shows, you need to subscribe uh, to the podcast uh, on the Apple or, or, or CastBox or Spotify platforms. All major podcast platforms carry the Keenon show. Or you can also watch live uh, on my Twitter page, uh, my LinkedIn network, uh, or on LitHub's uh, Facebook Live page. Um, I also hope you'll decide to follow me on Substack. Uh, I have uh, a newsletter on Substack in which I develop and expand on a lot of the themes we discuss in the uh, Keenon show. And I hope you'll also follow up with me personally, uh, perhaps uh, to give suggestions for future shows. You might email me at a.keen at me.com. Or you may also email me with suggestions about potential guests. I'm very open, uh, very eager, in fact, to have requests, ideas of, of people with interesting new books and projects which I need to talk about. So thanks so much again for, for, for watching Keenon. I'm thrilled that you're a member of our community and I'll look forward to hearing from you in the not too distant future.